You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, we looked at Romans 13 last weekend, and um, there were... Uh, many questions, I think, still uh, by the time we were done. But what we did is we said, okay, let's just look at what the text says. Um, wasn't that complicated, right? We, as we looked at it, it was like, okay, yeah, that's the plan. Romans 13.1 says that we are uh, to submit to the governing authorities over us. Uh, verse 2 told us the reason that we do that is because if we resist them, we actually are resisting God because the God, God is the one who places them over us, and uh, we are then called to then um, submit, not, not just because of that, but also then so that we would not uh, suffer as evildoers, and, and then also for the sake of our conscience. And then we got like super practical, as, as he does in verses 6 and 7, so that means paying your taxes. Um, back then they had taxes and revenues. Kind of like now, right? We don't just have one tax. We have many taxes. And it's like the whole point was just pay them all, okay? And, and, then, and then at the end of that, it was like pay respect to whom respect is due. Pay honor to whom honor is due. And, and um, just in case we weren't sure about that, it, that, that's, that means that you're supposed to respect and honor the government, okay? And, and, uh, and it doesn't say if... They, you think that they are due honor. If you think they are due respect, no, it's like that's, that's their job is to lead you so you respect and honor them. And maybe, maybe a helpful way to be uh, parents would be like, if it was said of you that your children are to respect and honor you, would, would they, could they use the same kind of reasoning? Like, well, they, they scored about a uh, four out of ten today on parenting, so... No honor and respect today, right? I mean, like, we, we, we understand that analogy pretty quick. We're like, well, no, that doesn't seem right. Okay, right? So um, respect and honors. We, 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 we alluded to it briefly last week. First Peter 2, 13 through 17 says uh, something very similar. Titus 3, 1. Again, there's, there's, there's many scriptures that say, generally speaking, you and I are to walk in obedience to the government. That's, that's the bottom line. So this week, what we want to do is we want to stop and think about, okay, if we are to submit to the government, and we understand that as ultimately, as we're submitting to the government, we're submitting to the Lord, because he's called us to do that. Are there times where we shouldn't obey? Are there times where we actually should disobey? And what we'll find is, yeah, there are times, as we look at the scriptures, there are times when we would disobey. Um, but I also want us to think about just the general believer and politics category, right? Lord willing, COVID will become a word of the past, okay? I think that's going to happen. I, I know two years in, we're kind of like, I don't know, I'm not sure. It may always be there. No, it, it, will, it will pass at some point. But won't, what won't pass is our relationship between the government and the believer. So I want to just think about that a little bit more this morning. And 
what we're going to do is we're going to do an atypical sermon. It's not going to be just like out of one chapter, one, you know, seven verses. We're going to break it down. It's going to be kind of like just all over the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. So pen and paper would be a great thing to have this morning so you can look at the verses uh, later. Um, but what I want us to understand is, is how we should respond as Christians to the government. But more importantly, I, I want us to understand what is the mission of the church. I, I just think after two years, it's really important that we just kind of reestablish that. And the one thing that we do is that we just subliminally tell you every Sunday the mission, okay? This is the mission. Lost people saved, saved people matured, mature people multiplied all to the glory of, the God, of God. That, that's the mission. This Matthew 28 just said in a little bit different way. But that's the mission. So I want that to be our primary focus. Our secondary focus, the Christian and politics. And, and I would be naive to think that by the time we're done here today, we'll be like, we all think exactly the same about the Christian and politics, Okay. But what I'm hoping is that we see, we can disagree on those things, but what we can agree on, the mission, is what moves us forward, all right? So, are we ready for this? I think we need to pray, all right? Let's pray, let me pray, and then we'll get, we'll get into it. God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning, Lord, we, we praise you for the work that you've done in Divine's life. Uh, thank you for her testimony this morning of, um, Lord, just your grace and your mercy, and, and knowing something about Christ, but not knowing the full truth. And Lord, in your grace, in your mercy, you revealed that truth to her. And God, we thank you that today she's your child and she's a part of this body. And Lord, we just pray that she would grow in her love and knowledge of you on a daily basis. And God, as we think about difficult things like politics and the believer, um, God, we're so thankful that your word is, is, is there. It, it leads us, it guides us, it that you, you speak to these things, and uh, we don't have to be left to wonder about many things, Lord. We, we, we have your spirit, we have your word, and, and so we come with anticipation this morning as we seek to learn together how we can best bring glory and honor to you. This is, again, under that category of how can we bring glory and honor to you? How can we be living sacrifices in a way that would be pleasing to you? And God, that's our desire this morning. We want to please you even in the way that we respond in politics. So, Lord, would you lead us and would you guide us as we look at these things this morning? It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's how I've framed it. Four questions when thinking about the believer and the government. Four questions when thinking about the believer and the government. I just thought maybe let's put some buckets out there, help us to start thinking about these things. So the first question, which I know that was on everyone's minds last weekend, when do I disobey? Okay, when do I disobey? And, and uh, uh, again, clearly Romans 13, I wanted that to sink in first and foremost, right? Last Sunday, okay, let's just, like, the majority of the time, this is what I'm supposed to do. I may not like it. If I'm being honest, I don't like it. In my nature, I would rather not submit. I'd rather rebel. That's who I am. But this is what God's Word says. So with that, we, we let that sink in last weekend. But there are times where we disobey. How do I determine when it is right for me to disobey? 
Well, let's start with some obvious answers that would say this is not the time. When I think their laws are dumb, right? I think if we got together right now, we could, we could have a real good time. <laughs> this bylaw, do you know, like, this law and this thing, like, we would, we, would, we would come up with a very long list of things. COVID aside, we'd come up with a lot of long list of things like, well, that doesn't seem to make sense. You can do this here, but you can't do that there, and blah, 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 like, right? Like, we, that's, that's not under the category of, I can disobey. What it is determined by is when the government says, you cannot do this, and the Lord says, you must do this. When the government says, do this, and the Bible says, don't do this, that's when we know they've crossed the line, and now we must disobey. That's how we do it. Let's think about some examples, first of all, of, in the Bible, of times where the believer said, I can't obey. Let's look at Acts chapter 4. Why don't you flip there? Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, um, Christ has risen. He's, he's instructed the apostles. After 40 days, he's, he ascends. And then while they're waiting uh, in the house, the Spirit of God comes upon him on the day of Pentecost, and, and the church has begun, right? And, and great things are happening. And on one of those occasions... Uh, the, the apostles were out, it was Peter and John, they're walking around, and they see a lame beggar. They, they look at him and say, well, we don't have any money, but what we do have, uh, we give to you, walk. And he walks, right? And, and it's uh, like this miraculous thing, and it stirs the whole, the city, and, and Peter's like, you know what I should do? I should start a healing ministry. Is that what he, no, what he does is like, he preaches the gospel, Right? He preaches the gospel right there, and then he's like, everybody looking? Okay, let me tell you about this Jesus who just healed this person. That wasn't us, it was him. Let me tell you about him and what he's done for you. And many people are saved. Well, the religious leaders, they don't like it. And so they arrest them. And the next day, uh, they are, in fact, it says, when you look at Acts chapter 4, it says, they were, uh, they were greatly annoyed Right? The, the religious leaders are greatly annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in, Jesus, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they have this, next morning they have this time together. Acts chapter 4, verse 7. It says, And when they had set them in their midst, that's Peter and John, they were inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So now the religious leaders, they hear this and they're like, isn't that Peter the fisherman? He didn't go to college. Right? Like they're, like they, 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 they're, they're struck by the fact that, that these uneducated men 
are speaking with such boldness. And so they're like, well, what are we going to do here? Leave our presence, right? So they tell him to leave, and then this conversation happens. Acts 4, 16, saying, what should we do with these men? For what that notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Look, the guy's right here. We can't deny it. Everybody knows him, right? He was the guy that was hanging out, asking for money all the time. Everybody knows him. He couldn't walk. He's walking now. What are we going to do? So we can't deny that. So what can we do? So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's what we'll do. We'll just tell them to be quiet about Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Look, at the end of the day, we have to obey God rather than you. They tell them, not belligerently, not like angrily, they just, like, here's, here's the bottom line. We have to obey, a God, obey God rather than you. And so that's what they do. And they leave the results of what that means to God, right? They're going to disobey. They've made it clear. And God does awesome things through them. Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Anybody using those names for their kids these days? Why not? That's pretty, they're pretty cool story. Everybody know who, knows them from the Bible, right? I mean, uh, but they're living in Babylon, not pro-Jew, right? They're, they're, they're living in an evil land, super evil. And there, there's this idea that, you know what we should do? We should build this golden image of Nebuchadnezzar because he's amazing. And everybody should have to bow down to him. That's what we're going to do. And so they find out that these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are not doing that. So Nebuchadnezzar is pretty fired up about it. They bring him in. He's like, okay, okay, wait, wait. I'll give you a chance. Daniel 3, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, he says to them, look, you, you, can, you can just bow down now. I'll give you another opportunity. He says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve, what was the threat? If this be so, thrown into the fiery furnace. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. We can't do it. I get it. It's your, your law. You're telling everybody to do it. But here's what we can't do. We can't bow down to your image. We have to obey our God. And you know what? You can throw us in the fiery furnace and he can protect us. But even if he doesn't, we just want you to know we're not going to do it. And so he's pretty fired up. He throws them in the fiery furnace. And guess what? Anybody ever heard this story before? Okay. God does save them. And what's really interesting, you, you see what kind of person Nebuchadnezzar is. So he's like, wow, your God is amazing. And so what does he decree? If anyone speaks against their God, 
he will tear them limb from limb. Okay, that was the new law. Okay, try living in that land. Okay, so that was, that was the, the, what he said. So that's what they do there. And then later on, there's a new king by the name of King Darius. He really liked Daniel, but a lot of the advisors that um, were, were there for Darius didn't like Daniel. And they're like, we got to trip this guy up somehow. And uh, I know what we'll do is we'll tell people that they, uh, they need to petition only the king, right? Whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So what does Daniel do? What he's done every day of his life. He doesn't change. He goes back to his house, windows wide open, and he prays. Everybody knows it. The, the guys that wrote the law to trip him up, they knew it was going to happen. They knew what kind of man he was. And so he does it. He just, he prays. And the king doesn't want this to happen. This is all found in Daniel 6, 10, 10 and 11, if you want to look at that. Um, we're told that he, he, he bowed on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God. And he continued to do that. So the king finds out, because they brought him before him, he tries to free him. And he says in verse 16, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. That's his hope. He's like, please, I'm praying that your God can deliver you. And guess what? He does. He delivers them. Now, there's a lot of other stories of people walking in disobedience to the government, and they didn't live. Okay? So it's not, so you're like, okay, every time, like, look, every time they're freed. It's okay. It doesn't matter if it's lines or fiery furnaces. Who's in charge of whether you live or die? What are we learning from that? God is the one that's in charge. You look to him, you walk in obedience to him because he is king of kings and lord of lords. Any government tells you to do something that you cannot do, you say, respectfully, we cannot do that. Right? And that's what happens. So, clearly there are times when we are to disobey. Now, I, you've noticed, yeah, I keep using this word respect, respectful because that's what we're supposed to do. Honoring, do it in an honoring way. It's not in a belligerent way. I hate you, government, right? As we're going to learn in just a little bit, really your enemy, and this is like Christianity 101, your enemy is not the government. Your enemy is not the unbeliever. Your enemy is Satan. That's your enemy. You want to get fired up about someone? It's Satan. That's who you should be fired up about, right? So they're doing what they think is best. You're like, okay, I understand you think it's best. It's not best for me. I can't do it. And so you disobey. Now, there was this thing the last couple of years, um, COVID. You guys heard about that, right? The, the pandemic? Okay. <laughs> okay. So the last two years, the church has been split how many different times though, on this issue? I want to think about it in three different categories. The government came in, uh, and right around, like we're right around the two-year anniversary. Like I, I can't remember the exact, exact day. I remember we were in Vancouver. We weren't sure if we were going to get home or not. Um, and, and everything's starting to shut down. And everyone kind of was on the same page to begin with, right? Like, okay, we're all going to die. Like, we have to shut down. Like, that's, like this is going to be the Black Plague, right? That, that we, we didn't know. Nobody knew. So everything gets shut down, 
and then we restart. And then that's when the division started. And, 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 and the government said, here are the things you must do. And some churches were like, no problem. In fact, we don't think you're doing enough. We're going to do even more. Right? So there were some, some churches did that. Some churches were like, eh, you're wrong. You're evil. We're not doing it. Right? That, that was some, some of their hearts. No, they, maybe they didn't say you're evil. But, but they were just like, we're not doing it. Okay? We're not doing it. And then you had some churches like ours who were kind of in the middle. We kind of like, there's some things we can do and there's other things we can't do. And, and what happened is that we all decided that we want to win you to our camps. That was generally what happened, right? So you have your point of view and you're like, you must believe what I must believe, what I believe. And we would try to win each other over and, and it obviously didn't go well over the last couple years. Now, I want us to just take one step back and to recognize that all three groups could open their Bibles and defend their positions as to why they did what they did. They would say, we are doing what we're doing because we believe this is what the Scripture is telling us, and their goal in all three cases would be we want to bring glory and honor to God. It's never for you and I to judge someone's motives. That's not our job. If we could, if we could just take that step back and listen to one another, I think we would have heard, oh, wait a minute, I guess there is a biblical reason for what you're doing. And, and, and we could disagree, we can debate, but what we could never do is divide over something like this. It should never be that way. When our, just to kind of think about what did our church do, we, we used four different principles uh, from Scripture. First, we, we, we were thinking about the importance of gathering together for worship. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3.13, Hebrews 10.25. Uh, 3.13 talks about if you don't get together, your hearts become hardened by sin. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, come together all the more as you see the day approaching. Like they're, they're, it's really, really important for believers to come together. And we did what we could do in that first season of, okay, there's this thing called Zoom. Has anyone heard of it? We're going to, you know, so there was like we tried to, in every way to try to come together and encourage one another and, 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 and do what we could. But by the time we were done that, we're like, okay, not the best. Can we all agree with that? It wasn't the best. And, and anyone who's married, like, digital relationship, not the same as in the same house at the same time, right? Like, it's not the same. And we need each other. We need that face-to-face. There's just something, it's almost mysterious in some ways. There's just something different. You can have almost exactly the same conversation through Zoom as you would in person, but it's just different. It just is. And so... We, we, as we've seen the, the toll that took on, on people's hearts and lives, we're like, okay, we need to be guarding against that and, and not, not, not being quick to do that. And the second time we were asked to, to, to take that three-week break, we were thinking, okay, if this extends past three weeks, what are we doing? Because we were, we were, we were, were concerned about what was happening to us spiritually. So that was the first category we went under. Love for neighbor. 
Love for neighbor has to reign. We love, again, remember our context in Romans chapter 13. It's love, 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 love. Everything that we do should be about love. We can have different political viewpoints. Is it possible that there in this room we could have people voting for different political parties and still be one? Is that possible? Can I just say, yes, it's possible, and it should be happening. It's ridiculous that we're dividing over politics. It should never be that way. Oh, I heard, I heard that guy voted for this party. I don't know if he's even saved. <laughs> what? How is that? How have we ramped things up so much that that's become a question of whether someone is saved or not. So we need, to, we need to be loving. We can all have, as I already said, we can have different opinions, even about things like COVID. We can discuss, we can debate, we can even disagree, but we should never divide. And can I just take a step back and say, I'm really proud of you guys. Like, I feel like you did an outstanding job this last two years in that regard. I don't know, we had many, many discussions but for the most part, we stayed together. And, and we loved each other despite our differences many times. And that's the way it ought to be, right? We, 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 we can take a different viewpoint than a, the church down the road. That's okay. But what we cannot do is slander one another. Like, I don't care if you're right on the COVID issue, you're dead wrong when you start slandering your brothers and sisters over it. So, so and, and do you know what's happening in that church, in that city? Like, wh who am I to speak on what they should be doing in Barrie, Ontario? What do I know about their situation? I know nothing about it. So, can we just trust that maybe they have godly elders? and they're studying the scriptures, and they're shepherding their people in a particular way, like, we should distrust that. And in our conversations, spurring on should be the conversation, not slander. This should never be said in the church. All right, so love. And then third, we talked about this a lot last week already, so I'm not going to belabor the point, obedience to the government. Whenever we can, we have to obey. So what do we do, okay? How many people can we have in here? Okay, that means children aren't in here now. Okay, that means we're going to add an extra service on Christmas time. We're going to have, why? Because number one, we need to gather together. So whatever we need to do, we want as many people in here as possible because that's what needs to happen for their souls. So we're trying to balance the, the one and the three, right? And as well as doing the two. And then number four, we want to maintain a good witness. That was the desire throughout it. We wanted the cause for stumbling to be the gospel, not our stance on COVID. And so those were the four principles we used as we tried to, to balance all four, right? That's what we did as a church, as individuals. There were times where you're like, you know, I know I'm supposed to go to my neighbors, but they're just not doing well. I'm really concerned about them. Well, what do you do in that case? What's the higher good? You're like, you know what? I might get a ticket for that, but I'm okay with that 
because I think they're in a, in a desperate state. And so I'm going to go be with them and help them and pray for them. Okay, good. But you don't, like, you know, you're not throwing Molotov cocktails or something. You know what, I mean? you know what I'm saying? We just do it quietly and accepting the responsibility if, if you're caught, just like what happened here in the examples that we found in the Bible, right? So here's the problem. When do I disobey? Not always as black and white as we want it to be. And we need to have a whole lot of grace for one another in that. All right? So, like, oh, I don't know if I like that answer. Okay. Second one, second question. Where's my focus? Where's my focus? Is you just kind of take, again, taking a step back, where's my focus? Is it earthly or is it eternal? Am I getting caught up in the things of this earth too much so? Am I, am I placing my hope in the things of this earth or is my hope set apart from the things of this earth? Is my hope eternal in Christ? Too many times we've been way more passionate about restrictions and COVID and politics than we have about the gospel. And that's a problem. Like if we, if we want to be zealous, let's be zealous about the gospel. That's the thing to be zealous about. Other things, again, we can have talks. We can, and I, look, right here, easy to get caught up in it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But what I have to continue to remind myself, is this really something to get fired up about that much? Really? Let's, 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 let's gospel here, everything else down here, right? So one of the things that helped me, uh, some verses that, that's helped me keep perspective on these things, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Right? There, the, 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 we have to remember, at the end of the day, governments come and go. I mean, just think about since the time of Christ, how many different kinds of governments have we had? It's fascinating, really, when you think about it. If you want to do a study and you're like, can I get your mind blown? It's like, you know, we have such a microcosm of what we think government is in, you know, 2022. But there's, like, there's been, the church was over government. And then there's been, you know, this kind of this weird government church thing going on. And then there's been the separation of church and government. There's been all kinds of different systems over the years. Now, overall... What have we seen in over the last 2,000 years? If a country adopts Judeo-Christian principles, they tend to what? Prosper. They tend to do well. When we do life according to the Ten Commandments, we do life with integrity and, and care for one another. As the Bible tells us, it tends to work for everybody. It tends to be, become a really prosperous nation. Now, the problem with that is what? When there's prosperity and there's wealth, you and I as believers can get what? Distracted. Like, yeah, 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 I know there's heaven, but man, look at the earth. I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some amazing things to go after. And we, and we can get distracted and we can, we can go after those things. And, and, our, and our focus becomes earthly rather than eternal. And I only say that to say, look, 
Uh, it's, not, it's not just about some utopian democracy here on earth. We have some, we have some higher plans for believers. Is it possible that believers in places like China and Iran can still have hope? Is our hope only based on whether I have freedom in my country or not? What have we found? In places where freedom has been limited, in places like China, Iran, other places in the world, the church tends to thrive. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it happens every time, but it's just a generally speaking. And I wonder if part of that is, is that they're, they're, not, they're not distracted with the things of this earth. They, they, they understand clearly, my hope is not here, right? Uh, my hope is not here. In fact, I don't know if I'm going to be here next weekend because of the government that's over us and the oppression and the persecution that we experience. But I do know this, if I do leave this earth, I'm going to be with him. And so I want to tell as many people as I can about him before I leave. It's an interesting thing as we think about that, and I only bring that to perspective to say, you know, it, it, let's, let's lower the, the volume on government. We, we, as we're going to see in just a moment, we'll, we can have influence, but, but when we think about our mission, it can be harder in a free democratic society than in one that's not. I'm not asking for persecution, please, okay? I'm not asking for things to be harder. I'm just asking us to think about our perspective on things. My point is, in reminding us of this, is to refocus on the fact that our hope is not dependent on who governs us. That's not where our hope is. Doesn't mean that we don't still try and have an influence, but our hope is not in who governs us. Anybody who know who Chuck Colson is? Wow, you guys need to do some reading. So Chuck Colson, you guys, if you know anything about American politics, you should know who Chuck Colson is. He was Richard Nixon's hatchet man. I mean, you were talking a man who was putting his hope in politics. He, he was all in, we're going to do what we need to do, it doesn't matter if it's in the law or not. And he got caught, Nixon was no longer president, and Chuck Colson went to jail. But in God's grace and mercy, that's where Chuck Colson came to Christ. He got saved, he got born again, he wrote his autobiography, Born Again. Uh, he got born again in prison, and then he wound up doing prison ministry for the rest of his life. But he said this, and I think it's really a good word for you and I. Where's the hope? The hope that each of us have. It is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country and that's where our hope is in this life. Isn't that true? Our hope is not in who governs us. Please hear that this morning. I know many of us in this room are discouraged with our current governance. And we see a trajectory it's not good for the believer. It, it would, it, if, if things continue, we will have more and more oppression, persecution, and less freedom as believers. And so that can be discouraging. But I, what I want us to hear this morning is our hope is, in not, is not in who governs us. 
So that leads us to our third question. Who's in charge? Who's in control? Who's in control of who governs us? Is it you and I? Are we the ones who, who set up governments and tear down governments? Well, let's just do a fast look through the Scripture. All right? Let's start in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 13 to 16. If you know your context of the Bible, that's Abraham. Abraham's on the scene. Genesis chapter 15. Guess what? Still no kid. But the kid's coming. And God tells Abraham what's going to happen over the next 500 years. In Genesis 15, 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. All right? Why do I say 500 years? Because they're not in Egypt yet. Okay? What he's talking about is the grandson, Jacob, and his family going to Egypt. We find out they're there for 430 years in a land that's not theirs. And in that time, they were afflicted. Then he says in verse 14, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And then as far as the nation, they're going to take over, verse 16, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So where, where God is giving uh, Abraham this prophecy is where they will inherit someday, but not yet. Why? Because the sin is not yet full there yet. So we see God clearly in control over Israel, over Egypt, and over Canaan. And guess what? Everything he said was going to happen, happened. Israel gets into the land. Things are great for about five minutes, right? And they start to rebel against God. Prophets start coming on the scene. And prophecies like this, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 happen. You know, your government you have right now, guess what your government's going to look like in the future, he says to them. Isaiah 3, 4 and 5. I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will, will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. You want to walk in your sin? This is what will happen to you. You're going to have foolish leaders. And once you have your foolish leaders, guess what's going to happen after that? I'm going to bring in Assyria and they're going to judge you, Israel. I'm going to bring in Babylon, and they're going to judge you, Judah. And then after that, I'm going to bring in Persia to judge Babylon. And oh, by the way, after that, there's this place called Rome that's going to come over that. God clearly is over it all. What about the New Testament? Get into the New Testament. We already talked about this last week. Herod Herod the Great tries to kill Jesus when he hears about him being born on the earth. He's like, another king's being born? I got to take that kid out because I want to be king forever. Doesn't work. Herod Antipas comes on the scene. He kills John the Baptist. And then he decides that maybe he's going to go after Jesus. And the Pharisees tell Jesus about this. Luke chapter 13, 
verses 31 to 33. Again, just encourage you to write these down and look them up for yourself later. But Luke 13, 31 to 33, and it says that at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Which is Jesus' response is, go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. I know you're cunning, I know you're shrewd, Herod, but here's the reality. I will die where I say I will die, and I will go to Jerusalem, and I will die exactly how the Lord planned it. Turn over to Acts. You see in Acts chapter 12, the same Herod kills James. This guy, he loved the praise, right? He's like, oh, people are liking that. I guess we'll kill Peter as well. Peter's in jail. Acts chapter 12, 1 through 3, you can read it for yourself later. Guess what? God's plan is, nope, Peter is not going to be killed. Jailbreak time, right? He's jailbroke, and then who's the next guy we see being killed? Herod. And God says, Herod, you're done as king. The angel of the Lord strikes him. We're told worms come on the scene. We don't exactly, really like, he dies of worms, okay? And, and that's it. You know, if they did the autopsy later, like, you know, something to do with worms here, but what we're told is the angel of the Lord, right? Who is in charge? Who tears down governments? Who sets up governments? At the end of the day, it's the Lord. So, Herod, you're done. What's so cool about the next verse, right after he's dead, Acts 12, 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Governments come and go, but Christ is building his church, and he will do so until he returns. What about looking ahead? Should we be encouraged about our governments coming, coming in the future? Anyone, anyone think that like, I should be like, putting my hope in the future government? Because it's going to be amazing. Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is coming. When it won't be just wicked governments under the hand of Satan, it will be Satan himself. The Antichrist comes to this earth and he will rule over all peoples. And if you are a believer, you are target number one. And we're told that many, many people will be martyred in those days. He's only able to do what God allows him to do. When the martyrs in heaven are like, how much longer? He's like, there's a few more people still to be martyred. Just wait. God is in control. Schreiner says this, John emphasizes the satanic and demonic character of government. The problem with Rome and every government is the desire for totalitarian rule. Totalitarian, you know what I'm trying to say, rule. Lurking behind the government's demand for absolute commitment and submission is Satan himself, who uses government to advance his own ends in order to procure worship for himself. Isn't it interesting, the more wicked the government, the more anti-Christian, anti-Jew they are. Why? Because Satan wants to destroy God's plans. God, Satan wants to destroy God's people. But if you're reading the book of Revelation, what's the whole point of the book? God wins. God wins every time. 
He is sovereign. He's over it all. And let's be honest, we don't understand everything. We can't. For you and I, in our puny little minds, compared to the mind of God, we, we don't really understand it all. But what we can trust is that God is sovereign over it all, and he's bringing about his purposes and his plans. And Schreiner sums up this section well for us. Believers are not encouraged to adopt a revolutionary mindset. If you look at the believers versus the Jews in that first century, the Jews, they were the ones trying to burn cities down and whatever, try to get their land back. The Christians continued to proclaim the gospel and walk faithfully. We're not called to have a revolutionary mindset as if we could usher in the kingdom of God through political change. We are to pay taxes and ordinarily subordinate ourselves to authority. Still, our ultimate devotion is to God himself and Jesus as Lord, and thus any government demand for unconditional loyalty must be resisted. That's what we do. That's, that's, that's the plan for the government and the believer. So last thing, briefly, how should I devote my time? Okay, that's, that's the big picture. How should I devote my time from day in and day out? With the time that God's given me on this earth, what should my life look like? Well, let's start with this. Remember the mission. The mission is lost people saved, saved people matured, mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. Every day you wake up, that's your mission. That's our mission. That doesn't mean that we cannot have influence in our country. I can't speak to what they should do in the United States. I cannot speak to what they should do in Iran or Saudi Arabia, but I can speak to you as Canadians. As a fellow Canadian citizen, I can say to you, you should be the best possible Canadian citizen you can be. You are called to be salt and light for Christ's namesake. And so we can have influence. As we think about this, this section, I, I want us to think of in regards to influence and impact. We can have influence on our culture. As parents, you're raising your children in a particular way. You're teaching them godly values. You're, you're teaching them, hopefully, to respect and honor authority. You're, you're, you're teaching them of that is having an impact on their classrooms, Lord willing, as they walk out in obedience to what you're teaching them. The hockey team that they play on, the, 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 the playground that they play in, Everywhere that we, should, we go should be a better place because of our identity in Jesus Christ. We are his ambassadors. And as such, in our country, with the laws that we currently have, if there are wicked laws written, you should write your MLA, you should write your MP in a respectful way and tell them what they're doing is wrong. You should speak up. One of the ways that our country's politics works is, ever, anyone ever hear of special, special interest groups? Anyone ever hear of that? These special interest groups hire people to get into the ear of the government so that the ear of the government thinks that this is what the whole country wants. And so you and I, as Canadian citizens, we should be letting the government know what we believe about these things. And I would just encourage you, as you're done your letter, you should say, and I'm praying for you. I know that you have a very hard job. Respectfully, in an honorable way, using the means that we have in our country, lawfully walking 
in a way that would be salt and light. Now, there are times, we've already talked about this, there are times where you're like, I just have to disobey. We've talked about that a, few, a couple of months ago in regards to Bill C4. Uh, we, we must serve the Lord. We can't say, well, we're not going to try to help people of a certain kind of persuasion. That's wickedness. The Lord calls us to help all mankind and to proclaim the gospel to all mankind. And so we will continue to do that, but we'll do, it so, do so in a respectful way. And so we can have influence. But if we want true impact, if we really want to change people's lives, then it has to be about the gospel, doesn't it? It has to be about the gospel. Our goal is not to have some kind of utopian democracy. Our, our goal is to see lost people saved. Our focus needs to be seeing men's and women's lives changed through the power of the gospel. By the way, did you know that politics is the downstream of culture? We have the government when we have because of our culture. And our culture will not change without the gospel. Why, why is it that 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 80 years ago, that we had a certain kind of government? It's because there was a whole lot more believers. There was a whole lot more people holding to Judeo-Christian principles. We should not be shocked that we have the government that we have. And so if we want true change, we need to be about the gospel. The gospel, again, is not, we've been, we've been going through this for 12 chapters now, Romans. The gospel is not just like it gets me on the team. The gospel is about every day applying that truth to my life, remembering that I'm a sinner who desperately needs a savior, but he has saved me. He's filled me with his Holy Spirit, and he's given me commands to follow. And, and the primary thing that we've seen over and over again is we went through chapter 12, and that is to be loving and caring. If we want change, we need to believe in the power of the gospel. And, and, and sadly, over the last couple of years, I've heard this, yeah, 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 the gospel. But don't you know, we have to do this, and we have to do that, and we have to do... No, it's about the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Every day we wake up, we should say, Lord, use me to tell the lost how they can be saved. Lord, use my life to reflect you. Help me to be an ambassador for you on this earth before I take up my full citizenship in heaven. I want to be a Canadian citizen that the government looks at and is not as a problem, but as someone who's contributing to the betterment of this society. As much as it depends on me, Lord, help me. And so, how are we, how are we doing on those four questions this morning? Maybe one last thing, because I think this is really, was a cool illustration. MacArthur, um, Pastor MacArthur had a, and still it does, ha have a lot of impact on the believers in Russia. 
And so he got a lot, had a lot of conversations with him over the years. And, and after the Iron Curtain came down back in the, in the, in the mid-90s, he was able to have conversations with them. And he asked them, he said, did you ever like think about like, you know, protesting and things like that? And they said, no. We never even considered those things because if we were to be arrested, we wanted it to be about the gospel. We wanted it to be clear that the reason that we were being arrested was because of our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that just sets the perspective for you and I. When should we disobey? When our disobedience to the government would mean obedience, sorry, when our obedience to the government would mean disobedience to our Lord. But our love for the lost and our love for one another can never change. This morning, ask yourself, where is your focus? If you're feeling hopeless, angry, and discouraged, could it be that your focus is too much on the things of this earth? the things that are temporary. Let's get our eyes on things eternal, knowing that nothing and no one can ever separate us from the love of Christ. Remember who is in control. The Lord is ultimately in, the control, in control. If we want a different government, we need to be proclaiming the gospel and we need to be asking the Lord to change things and crying out to him. So how should I devote my time? My prayer is that Together, we could say, Lord, our desire is this. We want to see lost people saved, saved people matured, mature people multiplied, all to your glory. And that's, our, is that what, and that's what we're going to be devoted to together until you return. And then his righteous rule for all of eternity. That's going to be a great day. It's coming soon. Amen? There probably could have been about two more months of servants on this topic but we're going to close it there, okay? If you have questions, we'd love to talk to you as elders. If you have, still have more questions about these things, we get it. It's difficult. It's hard. But ultimately, let's remember the main mission and our call to love. Let me pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this time in your scriptures this morning. Lord, as we've been all over your word, God, it is um, it's a great reminder, Lord, where our hope really lies. Lord, our hope is not in government. Our hope is not in the things of this earth. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for changing us. And Lord, as we think about our government, as we think about the unbelievers, Lord, we're reminded that the God of this world has blinded them to your truth. And God, we're asking that you would help us to give them sight. Lord, help us to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Help us to, to tell lost people that they can be saved, God. That though they have sinned against a righteous God, Jesus Christ has died for them. His shed blood has taken their penalty so that we might be saved. God, we, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for this church family. God, we have seen the evidence of your grace over and over and over again. God, the fact that we have remained unified, the fact that your love is evident amongst us is for your glory, for your honor. It can only be attributed to you. And so, God, we give you praise this morning.
for all that you have done. God, help us to walk in faithfulness to you in all ways. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.